Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Thanks, team. Thanks for blessing us today as we come and sing and praise. Uh, such an uh, privilege to get to sing uh, the glorious truths of who uh, Christ is and uh, the good, great things he's done for us through Calvary, through the gospel and rescuing us and saving us and uh, seeing us become new creations who love and serve him. And uh, great to hear your testimony too, Linda, just bits and pieces of your life there. That's fantastic, the way we see God sort of moving through our lives and uh, taking us through various circumstances. And praise God for lovely parents, eh? Parents who can look after you and pray for you and actually take you through as well. So that's, that's good stuff to hear, really, really encouraging and uh, important for us as well. Uh, my name is Todd Hall. I am the lead pastor here at Exchange. It's a real blessing to have you guys come and gather with us this afternoon as we uh, come and worship Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. And uh, if you're here for the first time, thanks so much. Uh, this is a part of the service where we get to open up God's Word, the Bible, and uh, we actually hear God speaking to us. So when, I, when we read out of these passages, as Doug read before and I read now, this is, that is the, the very words of God, the inspired Word of God. That is not me writing something down or someone else. Well, it is, but it's God inspiring them to write that down. And what we believe today is we read this out and we open this passage up now, we're about to do here in Luke. Uh, it truly is God's word uh, speaking into our heart and life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God works through that to change our lives and to transform us into uh, the people he's called us to be. We are currently going through... Uh, the book of Luke, doing a series uh, through that, and just to, again, help set the scene for where we are. Um, how do you deal with difficult people in your life? How do you deal with those who may offend you or are nasty towards you? Do you treat them coldly and just sort of avoid them? Do you ignore them and just wish they'd go away? You know, where does the idea of you know, love your neighbour as yourself sort of come into play here when we think about people who offend us or are nasty towards us? We're going to see a passage today here where Jesus really does lift the bar, as it were, on our understanding of love towards all people, even our enemies as well. So if you've got your Bibles, please, let's go to Luke chapter 6 and we're going to read from verse 27 through to 36. Okay, verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good, do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. 
Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Uh, Lord, we thank you now that we can come and open up your word. And I ask and pray that, Holy Spirit, uh, these are really hard words. These are, if, we, if we take these words seriously, as we should, these are really hard words for us to apply, that is. So I pray today, Holy Spirit, as we just begin to think through what Jesus is saying here, you'll open our hearts up to love our enemies, to bless those who curse us, to pray for those who abuse us. We ask now, Holy Spirit, you're beginning to work the truth of the gospel deep into our hearts to change our hearts, to enable us to do that, which would be a glorious picture of Jesus Christ living out through our lives. Ask for your help now, just as we think through this really hard passage, that it will do good things in our heart and in our life. Lord, we ask that now, we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Some pretty tough words, and if you think about that, begin to apply that to our heart and our life. Uh, so what's Luke done? Luke's chosen here to include what looks like a sermon that Jesus has delivered, not quite the Sermon on the Mount. You might see this in other passages, in, in the book of Matthew particularly, but this is more like the Sermon on the Plain. It's a detailed picture of what living in Jesus' kingdom looks like as Jesus teaches here. It's a powerful picture of peace and harmony that could be if a community of people chose to live this way. Uh, these are the ethical or right or proper ways to live the way God has intended us to live. This is living in God's kingdom here according to his principles. Uh, See, though, from the sinful world that we live in now, this kingdom living must be viewed from a heart that's been made new by the Holy Spirit uh, through the gospel. In other words, we don't live this way that Jesus is talking about here, even that little passage, and it's only part of a longer passage. We don't live this way to be good enough for God now to love us or to be good enough now that God would respect us or to be good enough now that God would actually call us into his kingdom. It's not about that. It's actually doing it from the basis of what he's already done done for us in saving us through his son Jesus. Now, from that position of salvation, here's how you live. And that's what Jesus is going through as he does this. So the big idea that runs through this uh, passage here is this. Uh, God's love in us raises the bar and enables us to love the hard and the horrific people in our life. God's love in us raises the bar and enables us to love the hard and the horrific people in our life. Okay, let's think about love. If this is the theme here, this is what Jesus is talking about, loving our enemies. Let's try and identify what that means, particularly in the perspective of the world where we live today. How do they view love? How do they think of love? How do maybe you think of love in this particular way? In our Western world, our Western culture, where we are all part of here in Australia, the primary way that love is viewed is through the romantic lens. If you often think about love, it's generally, or most times, primarily through this romantic lens of life. It's a feelings-based love. I feel loved. Uh, You'll probably see it much on social media and probably on some of those reality TV shows, as some of those ones at the moment. Married at first sight or love at first sight or some of the love at first sight, I'm not sure how that works, but that's probably a good example. Uh, I felt attracted to him or her. I felt it's a feelings-based thing. You'll hear those comments flying around. Or when we get together, when they're on, have, at the interview at the end of the show, whatever they do, you know, the chemistry was just right between us. 
or we just clicked when we got together. It's like a feelings-based love. Here's how they're viewing what love is all about. It's, it's this romantic lens that they go through. Now, it rolled in there with some sort of physical attractiveness as well. And on the TV show, as they're doing the interview at the end, they say, do you think this is love between you now? And the question really is ultimately based on some sort of romantic feelings that they're having between each other at this point. Now, the romance or the chemistry or they're just clicking becomes the dominant way of measuring our love or displaying our love in our current culture. It's very much a feelings-based thing. I've heard this from time to time from people as well, which sort of explains our feelings way of looking at love. You know, I've heard this, I just don't feel anything for him or her anymore. I just don't feel anything for them. You know, there's just nothing there. I don't feel the love for them. Now, I don't doubt what they're saying in that statement. I don't doubt that at all. But what I'd say, if somebody's saying something like that, I just don't feel the love for that person anymore. What I'd say is this. You're looking at love through an incredibly shallow and fickle lens of life. You're seeing it through this romantic feelings thing and trying to build all of your love on that. And what are our feelings? They're very much beyond our control. Feelings just sort of happen to us. Things just sort of happen in our life. Uh, circumstances come and circumstances go, and very often our feelings are like a roller coaster ride linked to our circumstances. And we can't always dictate what the circumstances in life will be, so our feelings are very unreliable as they're linked to the circumstances of life. You see, if we allow our love just to be a feelings-based love and nothing else, we'll be in for a very bumpy ride through life because things will come and things will go. That is just the way life is. So therefore, this is what happens when people want out of marriage. They said they've lost the sizzle. They've lost the spark. They've lost the electricity. Yeah, it's all gone away now, so I just need to move on to the next person to get that sizzle back into my marriage. What do they want? They just want that sizzle of feelings there again. But that's not where we really should see love in, just that feelings-based thing. And this is where a large majority of our Western culture today views love. I'll only love when I feel like I'm loved. Then I'll give my love in return. What is this? It's a shallow, flimsy and circumstantial-based feelings love that is nowhere near robust enough to survive this world. It'll only go that far if you live on feelings. It'll go no further. Now, having said that, saying, Todd, are you not a romantic? Probably if you ask my wife, she may say, yes, he's not a romantic. It's certainly a part of love. Don't, don't get me wrong, it is certainly there, but it's part of what we call a whole package of what love is. There's so many other stronger elements to love that really actually carry love through the circumstances of life, no matter what we're facing. And see, this is the love that Jesus is actually talking about here in this passage. He's not talking here about a feelings-based love when he talks about this. The love that Jesus is talking about here is a choice-based love. It's about choosing to carry out actions and responses that are loving in nature. It's a choice in love, not a feelings-based love. 
And Jesus is calling us here in this particular passage to choose loving actions despite how we are feeling and despite the circumstances we may be in. He's wanting us to make a choice about this love and not be dictated to by feelings. And here's why choice-based love is way more powerful than feelings-based love. It's like this. We don't actually have control of their feelings, as I said before. They just come upon us. But what we do have is, is we have control of how we respond to those around about us. We actually have control of the, the way we respond in certain situations. So we are, make, we are responsible for making loving choices or selfish unloving choices. We can do it either way. We have that power and that responsibility and that choice. So we can love through our choices regardless of the feelings we have at that time. It may make things difficult, but we still have a responsibility to choose to make a loving action. Now, Jesus is going to demonstrate this here through this passage for us. Have a look with us. Uh, He says here, love doesn't choose to retaliate with wrong towards wrong, and we don't repay evil for evil. Have a look in verses 27 and 28 here. As we think about that, and we think about the descriptions of the people here that Jesus is talking about, he uses these words. They're enemies. They hate you. They curse you. And they abuse you. This is the reactions of the people that are around about the Jesus at this time. He's talking about probably not a description of your best friends. Far from that. The context here that Jesus is talking about here are people probably outrightly opposed to God, the gospel, and you or I. Now that's certainly one level, but I think there's many layers here of what Jesus is saying, that we can also be on the receiving end of this opposition or these hard times. Uh, Who are these people, maybe, that are giving us these difficulties in life? Maybe there's somebody who just dumps all over us on our normal channels of social media. I'm sure all of us have experienced that perhaps at some time where someone has dropped a nasty comment or said something on social media. They trash your reputation or they spread a truckload of lies about you. It can easily happen on social media. Maybe it looks something like this. You're in a conversation with somebody somewhere and, in, and somebody within that conversation then begins to turn on you, whether it's social media or whether it's in the schoolyard or the workplace. Someone turns on you in that conversation. They get nasty with their words And they begin to cut you down in front of others. They say things to you that are really hurtful, that hurt your feelings. Things like this. Oh, you're too fat. Or you're just dumb. Oh, you don't get what we're talking about, do you? Oh, okay, yeah. And they laugh at you. They're taking you down. Tell me, when you're in the middle of that, when they might be laughing at you or somebody calls you fat or somebody calls you dumb, how do you feel in the middle of copying that abuse? How do you feel when you hear those words said to you? Would you feel loved? Would you feel like loving them back? Let me answer the question for you. No. You don't feel loved and you don't feel like loving those people back either when they say those sorts of things. What do you feel? Probably quite the opposite. You feel hurt and you feel angry. Love would be the last thing on your mind to actually talk to somebody about at the time if they're treating you that way. 
What does Jesus say, though, in the middle of this? He says this, love your enemies. Make a choice. Choose to love them in return and not retaliate. Make a choice. See, the natural inclination in this world is to, is to retaliate. It's evil for evil, isn't it? You did that to me, I'll do that to you. What goes around comes around. You gave that to me, I'll give it straight back to you. It's how it normally happens within the world we're in. But not so with Jesus. Not so with gospel transformation that's taken place in our hearts. Jesus says, no. Love your enemies. The Holy Spirit, through Paul, says the same thing as Doug read for us earlier. Have a look in verses 19 to 21 as we read that again. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now you might be thinking, there, is Paul literally meaning put hot coals and something? That's not the payback that Paul's talking about there. It's actually confounding them. Why are you doing this good to me when I've done so much evil to you? It'll actually sort of mess with their head, so to speak, thinking like, I can't believe what they're doing to me. That's what Paul means there. Saying the same thing. Repay evil with good. Uh, Jesus also says this about uh, loving those who hurt us. He says this in verse, uh, verse 30 about uh, loving means giving liberally. Think about this in verse 30. As Jesus talks about this, Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one whom takes away our goods, do not demand them back. A heart that's infused with God's love becomes not only a forgiving love and a loving love, but it's also a giving love in a very uh, high demand. Now, what about that line back there in that verse, give to everyone who begs from you? Have you ever read that and sort of thought, what does Jesus mean? Does he, does he mean like give to every single person you walk past? If they've got their hand out, do you give something to every single person? Because it sounds like it's very comprehensive there, doesn't it? Do I do that? Or if someone steals my goods, as Jesus said, I should just let them keep that stolen stuff? How do we answer that? Well, the answer is no. You don't give to every single person who's got their hand out, who's begging for money. And for, but for genuine case of need, you would give to people who are begging for money. You might, well, how do I work that out then? Well, we live in a very challenging world in this day and age. Uh, in Jesus' day, they actually probably were all genuine people who were in desperate need, no social security, and they needed to actually just beg to survive. We've got a different world today that we live in. And I say this really carefully, of course. Um, it's not always going to be helpful to give every person you see holding their hand out money. Because you don't know what some people will do with that money. I'm not saying don't have a giving heart, but we do need to use wisdom and discernment in the way we would give to people. Because unfortunately, this day and age, you can give cash to some people 
It may get used for drugs, alcohol or gambling. So we need to be wise and discerning. If you still feel inclined to give to somebody, which I would encourage you to do that, I'd say maybe just go up to Subway or something and buy them a salad roll and bring them back some food if you're not sure about where that person may be using their money. So Jesus is saying, give, be liberal about it, but we need to then temper that with today's world where we live in uh, with so much more wisdom and discernment needed. If somebody steals from you and they're caught, Jesus says, don't, you know, don't ask for justice to be carried out there. Let's think about that again. In most cases, we actually do need to see justice and responsibility for their crimes taken place. Because that's part of the reforming process of people as they change. In genuine cases where somebody is so down and out that desperately that's what they needed to survive the next day, you may not press charges. But if someone's an habitual criminal who's always doing this and you have the chance to actually follow that, part of the reforming process of the person would be, yes, they need to face justice and accountability for the crimes that they have committed, most certainly. But what is Jesus saying here when he says all this? God's love motivates us not to retaliate. Not to retaliate. And God's love also motivates us to be generous in helping others who are less fortunate than us. To consider their needs ahead of ourselves and our needs at that particular time. God's love also raises the bar in this way with love as well. He wants to see a love working through our hearts that really does go next level. Have a look in these verses with me in 32 and 34. And just before I get there, I forgot to mention before, I will take some questions at the end of this talk as well. So if you have any questions from whatever we're going through now, hold that thought and you can bring it up to me later on. But verses 32, 34, read there. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that for you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. What's Jesus talking about there? He's probably talking about a really, really easy love in those situations. It's easy to love people like that, isn't it? You do something for me and then you'll do something back for me. I'll do something for you, you do something for me. I'll give you something, you give it to me back in return. It's really easy because that's not really that hard. You just give something and they just give it back eventually. But Jesus is actually saying it's a sacrificial love here that he's infused in our hearts through the gospel. A love that may not get returned. Even though we've done lots of things for others. It may not come back to us and Jesus says that's totally okay. That's what gospel love does. Because we are called to genuinely love people, regardless of whether we get paid back or not. Maybe a small example could be this. Maybe uh, you're living in town and you have a next-door neighbour who lives beside you and they're really untidy with their block, with their front yard and their nature strip or or whatever. Really untidy and they just don't look after them. Maybe you think, hey, I want to love you by just coming to mow your nature strip and even you might mow their front lawn as well. Every week, you pull out your mower and you mow that nature strip and you mow their front yard. It takes you about 20 minutes. Every week, week after week, you pull out the mower and you do it all over again. And your neighbour never gives you a word of thanks. Never gives you a word of thanks. What's Jesus say? That's okay. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. 
Pull that mower out again and just go and mow their lawn one more time. Mow it again. Show an act of love. And in verse 35, he tells us here, the reward for this will be great in heaven. Have a look in verse 35 for this, uh, raising the bar of not returning, not having love returned to us. He says this, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, a great reward in heaven, and you will be the sons of the Most High. May not see it here, you might mow that lawn for the next 25 years. God will reward you for mowing that lawn for the next 25 years in heaven, a glorious reward in serving him. See, God's love working through us really does raise the bar on love. It's not just a self-serving love or a self-seeking love. It's not just the mere duty of caring for the other people down the road. We're called to go above and beyond those expectations and love without thinking I'll get anything back in return. Only God's love filled in our hearts can actually carry that out and see that through. Hard things that Jesus says there. Difficult things that Jesus... I wonder how those people around Jesus heard those words that day. As Jesus just said that, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. How do you think they would have heard those words on that particular day? With great difficulty. With great difficulty. Jesus, you're telling me to love these Roman invaders? These people who've come and invaded this land, they're actually crushing us and they're conquering us through ridiculous taxation. They are crushing us into poverty. And you're telling me to love these people that are around about me, Jesus? They've taken away all our rights. We give the simplest sort of voice of protest and they brutally push us down. And you want me to love these people, Jesus? Love those who abuse me? Love those who demean me? You want me to love these people? Don't you know they've invaded the promised land? They would have heard that with great difficulty. Love your enemies. It's all actually about settling the score with your enemy, not loving your enemy. How do we hear those words today in 2021? Have things changed? If only you knew my husband... If only you knew my husband. He is beyond loving. He's a slob and he smells. If only you knew my wife. If only you saw how cold she is, how unloving towards me she is. She's beyond loving. If only you knew my father. If only you knew my father. He abused me when I was younger. He took advantage of me when I was younger. I could never love someone like that. If only you knew my mother. She rejected me. She abandoned me. She left me up for dead. I could never love my mother. If only you knew my brothers and sisters. If only you knew them, Todd. If only you knew how much they treated me like I wasn't even a person, that I wasn't even part of the family. If only you knew my brothers and sisters, you would see that I could never love them. Todd, you don't know the neighbours over my fence. You don't know how ridiculous they are. 
You don't know how loud they are, how brash they are, how rude they are. All they ever do is abuse me day after day. You can't love anybody like that, Todd. You don't know my neighbours. You don't know my supervisor at work, Todd. You, you never met her. She's impossible. She treats me like scum. She always looks after her favourites and I get the worst shifts. You don't realise how difficult... I'm never good enough. I can never please her. She's impossible to love. If only you knew the people on the bus who I have to go to school with. If only you knew the people I've got to be in the schoolyard with and what they say about me, how they belittle me. They mock me and they pick on me. I can't love them. It's impossible to love them. Now, now that list can go on and on quite a bit. Lots of cases of it out there. See, in our own or natural strength, some people are impossible to love in our own strength. In fact, so much hurt has been caused possibly over the years or the decades that a brick wall has gone up between you and that person. And if you think about loving them, actually all you want to do is reinforce that brick wall to keep that distance away from them. You don't want to think about loving them like Jesus just tells me here to love them. You want to build that brick wall higher so you can't get near them. I'm aware of that. That for some people there's a mountain of hurt and pain as they look back over their lives, whether it's been abuse or whether it's been any range of things from family members or wherever it might be. Mountains of pain, mountains of grief. But what Jesus brings here is a gospel which has a mountain of grace and love that is bigger than any mountain of pain and grief and hurt you may have experienced. The gospel brings a mountain of grace and love that's larger than the hardest person that you could imagine that you have to love. The gospel is that enabling power. Now to get that, to understand that, to see that, we have to see this. We have to start by seeing who God is first to enable us then to begin to love. And we see God in this passage. Look in verse 35, 36. It says there, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Now, stop. Read these next words really carefully. The first word is critical in this passage. What's the first word? For. It's really, really important when you're reading the Bible to see little words like that and understand what they're there for. For. You can do all this because of for. He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. The Most High God, for. For. He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Who are the ungrateful and the evil here? You're all thinking, oh yeah, it's my enemies. No. The unkind and the, great and the evil here is me. And it's you. We're all unkind. 
are all ungrateful and we're all evil before God. Not the most uplifting thing to say, but it's the truth. We're all ungrateful and evil in our lives before God. We don't love God as we should. We don't treat other people as we should. That's why we need Jesus to die for our sins. But what has God done? He's shown kindness to us when we are ungrateful and evil. How has God shown this kindness towards us? Have a look in Romans 5.8. It says this, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, ungrateful and evil, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When did Jesus die for us? When we all got dressed up in our best clothes for Sunday and we had a shower, we smelled good. Did Jesus die for us then? While we were still sinners, while we were ungrateful and evil. That's when Jesus died for us. We weren't loving then towards him, but he was loving towards us. Jesus pays this debt of sin through his death on the cross, through his perfect life, lived to God's glory, yielded up without doing a single thing wrong through life. He pays for all of our ungratefulness, all of our evil, through his death. Through his resurrection we are saved. And we enter into this salvation by faith, by believing exactly what Jesus has done. He took all that upon himself and paid that debt for us. And at the moment we believe that, at the moment we choose to believe that, God lives inside of us by his Holy Spirit and that we are changed with a new heart and with a new mind. We become new people. We're told in the Bible we are born again, become new creations. We are now filled with God's love, a supernatural love working inside of us. And as a new person, now born again, the Spirit of God lives inside of us, as a new person, born again, new creation, we see everybody differently. Everybody differently, including those who've hurt us in the past. Everything is changed now. Everything is new. Everything is different. Sure, it won't be necessarily easy to see those things back in the past again, but God enables us to see those things in the past again with a new set of eyes and a new heart. How do we see people now? We see them just like we used to be. Ungrateful, evil, sinful and broken. We see them just like that. And that's how we see the people have hurt us in the past as well. We see them as all those things, broken people who've done evil things. Now, what do we want? We want all those people to have the same thing that we've got. And what have we got? We've got Christ. We've got salvation. We've got the gospel working through our hearts as new people. So how do we help these people to see God? How do we help these people who have hurt us in the past, no matter what way they've done it, how do we help them to see God? Well, Jesus is telling us right here. We love them. We love our enemies. We demonstrate God's love through our lives by us loving them when they don't deserve it. Just like we got loved by God when we didn't deserve it. We now get to demonstrate that to them. And here's what Jesus asks us to do and empowers us for this very thing with his love now flowing through us. Back to verse 27 again. Love your enemies as a new person. Love them. Do good to those who hate you. How are you travelling with that? Do you do good to those who hate you? Or do you avoid them? Verse 28, 
Bless those who curse you. Bless them. Pray for those who abuse you. How are you doing with that? Are you praying for the people who are hurting you or abusing you? So I said, what Jesus is saying is hard stuff. But it's good stuff. It's what we need to hear. It's what we need to apply to our lives. Now notice here in that passage, it's not like a contract, is it? There's no fine print at the bottom of that passage where it says, if this thing happens, well then you've got to get out clause. Well, if this thing happens, you've got an excuse not to pray for them. There's no fine print here in this passage. It just says, pray for those who abuse you. Love those who are your enemies. You see, this is a love that's based on choices and not feelings. Choosing to make a loving action because of the loving action that has been demonstrated to us. Let me just close here with this uh, story that I read uh, this morning, actually, as I was doing some final preparation on on today's talk out of a commentary. It was just really illustrative of this whole principle. Uh, Several years ago, one of my wife's friends took a missionary furlough with her husband and family after an unusually tiring stint of service. So they've come back from the mission field and they're having a long period of rest. She had been looking forward to this time with great anticipation. For the first time, she was going to have a place of her own, a new, large, uh, townhouse-style apartment with a patio. She's very creative and made the patio the focus of her decoration. After a few months, some new neighbours moved in. The best word to describe them would be coarse, rough, obscene. There was loud music day and night along with a constant flow of obscenities. They urinated in the front yard in broad daylight. They totally disrupted her peace. She could see nothing good in them. She asked the Lord to help her to be more loving, but all she got back was disgust and rejection. The crisis came when she returned home to discover that her neighbour's children had sprayed orange paint all over her beautiful patio. The walls, the floors, everything covered in orange paint. She was distraught and furious. She tried to pray but found herself crying out, I cannot love them, I hate them. Knowing she had to deal with the sin in her heart, she began to converse with the Lord in her inner being and a scripture came to mind. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity from Colossians. In her heart, she questioned, Lord, how do I put on love? The only way she could picture it was like putting on a coat. So that's what she determined to do. She chose. Did you hear that word? She chose. She made a choice. She chose to wrap herself in the love of God. And as a result, she began to experience a deeper life of Christ within her. She made a list of what she would do if she really loved her exasperating neighbours and then did, made a choice, then did what she had listed. She baked cookies. She offered to babysit for free. She invited the mother over for coffee. And the most beautiful thing happened. She began to know and understand them. 
she began to see that they were living under tremendous pressures. She began to love her enemies. Notice the choice come first, and as it were, the love flowed. She did good to them. She lent to them without expecting anything back. And the day came when they moved. And you might have expected this lady to be rejoicing that these neighbours were moving on. But here's what she said. And the day came when they moved and she wept. An unnatural, unconventional love had captured her heart. A supernatural love. The love of Jesus. The gospel's real. The gospel's powerful. The gospel changes. It starts with a choice. Your choice to see what God has done for you and then your choice to obey Jesus and to love all people just as you've been loved by him. What's your choice? Let's pray. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.